Hello, everyone. Welcome to our December meeting. Um, I'm going to start off the meeting with one of our let's get to know each other <laughs> questions. If you first, we do get to uh, oh, say the time. Sorry, and sorry, sorry. The okay. time is six oh two. Yeah. Um, I will do roll call. Okay. Loretta Mallon. Present. Richard Harvey Jr. Present. Serena Clinton. Present. Tammy Rosell. Present. Mark Smith. Here. Derek Turner. <clears throat> we have a corn. Thank you. Okay. So, if by some wonderfully lucky chance you won the lottery, what would you do with the mix? How big, how big is the thought? Oh, the mega million. <laughs> million? The mega, the mega, taxes. whatever. The biggest one it is, whatever. It's the Powerball. Okay, that one. Because mega million was one last night. Okay. <laughs> okay, Mark, what would, you, what would you do, Mark? I'm sorry? What would you do if you won? Well, I wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> but, but aside from that, aside from that, there's a lot of um, there are a lot of charities that, for me, I would love to give to. Uh -huh. um, and that would be like the ASPCA. Um, if if it could be arranged, I would want to uh, specify a gift for a specific purpose within the confines of this program, if I could. You can. This is, this is and, awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, this I, is, bet this you is hard. I bet you could. Yeah, this is hard, you know. Um, yeah, I, 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 let me put it this way. A lot of it would be given away in, uh, in one fashion or another, simply because, A, you can't take it with you. Um, and the fact is, you could do a lot of good with it if you had it. And, uh, me, yes, my life would be comfortable, uh, and I don't, and I'm not, and I don't have to have a Ferrari in the garage or anything like that. I just, <laughs> just be comfortable, um, <laughs> and yet, you know, I think it would be nice to get, uh, I think, uh, giving to people who have less than you and are less fortunate is uh, would be important. To me. <laughs> I like that. Well, the first thing I would do is buy a llama farm <laughs> because that is on my bucket list <laughs> to own a llama farm i love llamas i mean i love llamas a lot <laughs> and so that would be the first thing uh the second thing is i have several charities that are dear to and near to my heart that i would give and i really like the one that you said the spca anything with animals i'm my heart melts. So when yeah. I go to heaven, I want to be the zookeeper. Okay, I tell God that all the time. <laughs> I want to be the zookeeper. <laughs> and um, basically, I, I mean, that's as far as I know right now that I would do. You know, I know the charities that I want to give to, and I, I definitely want my llama farm and you know, little farmhouse and place to keep them. And, yeah. Hey, Brenda, you're up. Um, if I ever went, I think I would want to make a difference in life. I would give most of my, maybe 90% of my money away. 
and just 10% just share between um, my family. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we have everything anyway. Those are all extra. I think I would like to take a part to make history and make a difference if I can. If I can. Oh, did we hear that? Oh, yeah. The question is, if you won the lottery, the big, big lottery, what would you do with that money? Oh, I would, uh, I would probably give after uh, to the kids, get the kids in the right direction, start them early, and, and steer them early. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. So, yeah, I'm gonna have to think about this, and by the end of the meeting, I will tell you. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know? Okay. Um, to the children in the lowest performing block group, which is children of African descent and homeless children. And so I would build a foundation and I would buy a hotel 
um, and, and have some kind of housing for people that are experiencing homelessness to get, help them get their lives in order and it would provide jobs. Mm -hmm. And I would buy a house for each of my children. They can live in it, rent it or sell it, but that's what I leave you. And um, I would get a building for my school so that I could right. actually be able to have more of an impact uh, because right now it's limited how many children are well, last but not least, this <laughs> me. Um, I'm gonna do the opposite with Mark. Said I'm giving me that Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> um, just kidding. No, I would get a nice car, house, all that. <laughs> but uh, we'll also give back because um, philanthropy is a big thing for me, and giving back is a real big part of the space that we take on this earth. I truly believe that. So you took my idea about either donating to a cause or creating or building a house from the ground up to house families who are unhoused, um, as many as I can purchase with the money that I want. And um, my family is fine. My family is great. There's nothing that my family needs, but that would be the big thing for me. I think... It's evident that we all have giving hearts here, and that's why we serve on this board, too. So, makes sense. How about you? Oh, man, I thought I was oh, going to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You said last but not least. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, well, I clear the debt. I think I'd, I'd work on clearing a lot of debt, not just my debt. I would help clear debt yeah. for others. That's good. I think that would be my thing. And then if I had some more left over um, from that, because, you know, yeah, everybody's debt's been cleared because it was a really big lottery. Um, yeah. Just some, some sort of uh, probably climate change transformation stuff. I, I might work a little on that. Yeah. Because my husband's, you know, I, we need to jointly discuss if you I, won the lottery what would you do with the money i actually was thinking the exact same thing about climate change i i don't know anything about like what would work or but just in my short lifetime just seeing how the world has changed i feel like that's a very important thing to leave for like future generations right yeah, awesome. That's great. That's great. Thank you, everyone, for sharing. That was very nice. I that. Um, let's see. So that takes care of A. Let's go to B. Um, we want to approve the minutes from our last meeting on November 14th. Can I get a motion to approve the minutes? I move to approve the minutes from November 14th for applicant, for applicant board meeting. Thank you. I would do welcome. Lovita Mellon? Yes. Richard Harvey Jr.? Present. I mean, yes. <laughs> Serena Clayton? Yes. Tammy Wilson? Yes. Mark Smith? Yes. Derek Turner? Yes. The motion passed. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, item C. This is um, something new. Um, if you look in your packet, you have the uh, calendar of what our meeting dates are for next year. And it's been brought up as an idea. This is just food for thought, and you know, we can um, 
talked about a little bit, um, about going to the different health centers and having meetings there, like maybe, I don't know, one a quarter or whatever we decided, right? So like we would go to Hayward Wellness, we would go to Eastmont Wellness, we'd go to uh, Newark Wellness, and all the wellness centers, basically, you know, and have a meeting there. How do you guys feel about that? What are some of your responses to that? I love it. I think that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. The meeting would be work. At the different wellness centers, like, you know, we have Hayward Wellness Center, oh, and okay. we have, you know, Eastmont. Right. So, like, maybe a, a different wellness a center every quarter. Well, not necessarily a tour. We would hold our meeting there on their premises, and anybody, I guess, from from that particular office, I assume, could join in, correct? They and, already. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it made it easier. Uh, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Or we can invite them. Yes, exactly. And then also, too, um, as far as touring, you know, if, if some of you have never seen some of the sites, that's a, a nice way to see them, too, um, and see the expansions and stuff. I think it's a great idea. I I don't know. Um, when do we have to know by, David, on this? Do you know? Well, I think um, the idea for the calendar today is you'd be approving yes. the calendar. And it already, we put a note on there that said the meeting location um, is an AHS Homeless Health Center site published the Friday before the scheduled meeting. So. We don't have to decide which meeting is happening okay. where on which date. We tried to make it so that it could collect and be whatever you wanted it to be, including if it's at Highland every single time, it still is available to be that because right. of the way it's right. written. Right, right, um, right. And it's mostly to help you then direct us as staff also, so not in an action. The action is to approve the minutes, but then separately, for example, during the executive committee meeting or the leadership meeting, you'd be able to say, can we schedule one of those? And we would be working with our medical directors and site um, program managers, yeah. practice managers at each of the sites to figure out which which time they might best be able to host, right? right? So right, we'd have to right. work in coordination with them. I think that opens up some good possibilities. Yeah. Um, yes, sir. I'll, I'll just say my my ideal is that you all just figure it out according to whatever works for the folks at the site. <clears throat> like, I don't want to have to request it through a lot of process, yeah. right? Yeah. And also, if we could have maybe an optional short tour, like a half hour before the meeting, it's an option. I think that's a great idea. And, and I would love to invite the folks, either patients or staff from the site, to spend maybe make a presentation or whatever is easy for them. Like yeah. share what they what's going on, what are they what are they seeing, what are their needs, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I mean it's more driving and we'll probably all be later. Like I don't know how long it takes to get to Newark. Like yeah, I know. there's I know. that, but I would still be in favor of like just make the schedule and we'll do our best to show up. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Maybe not Livermore. We don't have. We don't have. No, 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 Like I was thinking also, like about the um, the wound center in in Alameda. You know, they're dear to my heart because they saved my leg, and they're it's just a fabulous place. All the things that they have there, 
the hyperbaric chamber, and I mean, just all kinds of fabulous, fabulous things. So, okay, so that one is not part of the AHS Homeless Health Center <laughs> scope. Well, and so I would just need it's okay, but but I would I think probably then I'd need to adjust this published document to just say an AHS site. Okay, if if that was something that you were hoping to do, I did try to open the doors up as but I, I was thinking homeless health center specific that does give you access to all of the AHS sites and then all of the mobile health sites. Um, but, but right. Creedon, Creedon does fall outside of the scope. Yet, sure. yet homeless use it. I, I know they use it. Yes. yes. Very it's much just, so. It's just part of the scope. Just wherever we go to, we have to make sure they have like a conference setting that would be open to the public because these meetings are supposed to be right. you know, idea accessible. Anyone can come. Sure. Sure. So that's also something to keep in mind, but not something you have to decide today. No, no. Like Heather said, this just gives you, I think, some flexibility where meetings can be held in the future if the yeah. board chooses to approve this. So. And also knowing this idea of like, if you're looking for quarterly, if quarterly works, um, this idea of pacing, not moving around too much, maybe right. like if that feels, we're, we're taking your direction on that. So I'm hearing yeah. quarterly. I, I just threw that out because. Quarterly would probably be the best. I, you know, we wouldn't, I, I don't think we'd want it any sooner than that. I mean, well, we could do every other month. I'll put that on the table. Mm -hmm. I, I will work with all of you. <laughs> okay, it's so. It's going to come down to practically whether you can schedule. Yeah, whether we can schedule it. Right. Yeah, right. Set up rooms and yes. prepare yes. staff and stuff like yes. that. So I think. Okay. From a staff perspective, I think quarterly is probably more. I would prefer to, yeah. to figure that out. Yeah, we can come back with a proposal. Yeah. And then we always have this here. If yeah. you know, if it falls through or something happens, right? And for whatever reason they can't spare a room, we have our our home base here. Yeah, and and you're hearing hearing both the quarterly, the every other month, and working with what works that gives us um, yeah. enough room also to to make it work for Definitely. you. So. Definitely sounds good. I also, um, just to note the May meeting, you'll notice it's the May 7th. It's the first Tuesday, not the second Tuesday. And that's because of the homeless, um, National Healthcare for the Homeless Conference. So we uh, we did make an adjustment to that date because of that conference already being set. Perfect. Perfect. There's things to pay attention to. Yes. Okay, so um, we need to vote on this. Everyone's okay with the dates. Okay. Motion and a second. Okay. Um, motion to approve the calendar dates. You may. I move to approve the 2024 CAB meeting calendar. Second. Uh, second. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So, yeah. So, yeah. I will do roll call. Louisa Mellon. Yes. Richard Harvey Jr. Yes. Serena Clayton? Yes. Tammy Hosdale? Yes. Mark Smith? Yes. Derek Turner? Yes. The motion passed. Thank you, guys. Okay, we are up for a medical director report. Um, I just want to keep it very brief today because we have other things that I want to spend more time talking about. Um, uh -huh. Maybe right now, just since she's already here, I'll introduce my colleague, Dr. Mm -hmm. Sunny Lai who is uh, the medical director, associate medical director at the adult immunology clinic, oh. and who's um, collaborating on the development of the low barrier care 
um, concept for the Highland Campus that we'll talk more about later. Um, but we already know about what Sunny would do with lottery winnings. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm just super excited to have her here. She's yeah. uh, really, so when I started practicing at AIC, um, it was really in the context of like two, the medical director and another longtime provider leaving the clinic and just needing anyone who had HIV expertise to come in. And the staff did a great job of supporting me and helping me learn the patients and, you know, just kind of keeping the clinic going. Uh, but I think when, you know, Dr. Lai joined as the next medical director, it really just took our clinic to a whole new level. And as you'll see, I think some of the work around homelessness in our system that is uh, most tied into primary care, the FQHC ethos, patient-led, you know, um, design is, you know, is being led by Dr. Lai. So I'm just really, really excited to have her here and for you guys to get to hear about some of the work that she did and how it's leading into how we're thinking about um, low barrier care implementation for the system. Um, and then uh, the other thing I wanted to say is just that um, I think you all remember we have a spring and a winter. I don't know if there's anywhere else that we're announcing this in the in the meeting today. So there's a spring and a winter Alameda County homeless, um, you know, celebration where we get the community together in the in the winter time. It's really a day of mourning, um, you know, for um, all the losses over the course of the year. That's going to happen on winter solstice. I think it's a Thursday, December 21st uh, coming up. Um, so we'll send out information just for all your inboxes about um, about that event. It's a really um, it's a really great event that's done every year. And then there's a spring one that's a, that's more of a joyful event. Yeah. Do you know? Um, I can't remember. Heather, do you remember the location? I don't know. It's it on. Lucy. Hi. 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 Yes, it's on Zoom. Um, oh, it's Zoom. Okay. Yes, exactly. So the summer one we do in person, and then the winter one we do on Zoom. And so I will make sure that you all, um, if you all have friend, if somebody can send me your all your list, you know, um, I'll make sure that you all are added to the invite. But it's we'll midday. Yeah, we'll send you that, Lucy. Thank you. Thank okay, you, perfect. Lucy. And yeah, and sorry, it's on Thursday, the 21st, from 12 to 1. 12 to 1. Okay. And that's it for my report. Are you going to get anything in there? Yeah. <laughs> no updates on anything? I mean, we're going to give you an update on low barrier care planning because okay. I want to save time for, okay. for that. All right. Alrighty, um, let's see, actually, okay. yeah. so believe it or not, the 2023 year is done, so it's time for 2024 elections for our chair and vice chair. Um, so I, I mean, I think we'll just start it off with their nominations and then go to volunteers, starting with the chair. Um, are there any nominations, meaning you know, you're nominating someone else for the position of chair? You can nominate yourself too, right? If there's no, yeah, then we'll move to volunteers. Well, let's just group them together. So group. Do I have any nominations or volunteers? Okay. Any others for chair? Okay. Um, we'll vote on that in a second, but do I have vice chair nominations or volunteers? For chair. Nominate Richard. Okay. Richard. 
Okay, so let's, are there any others? Maybe can I just say really quickly, like how yeah. valuable the chair and the vice chair are to us? Like we meet monthly to review the agenda. And, you know, I think when we come here, you know, there's lots of questions about what, what order things should go in, what's important to you all, what's going to make sense when we get to the meeting. Um, and, you know, we really just rely on that conversation that we have on a regular basis with Loretta and Richard to do that, as well as their leadership and engaging, you know, other folks outside the system. So you guys came to Soul of Spring this year, you know, have had meetings with, um, you know, Portia and Terrence, um, our, our ambulatory leaders, you know, in between these meetings. And so they're just, it's a really valuable role. And I'm not sure everybody necessarily gets to see all that um, Loretta and Richard have done. Um, so it's exciting that both of you are nominated right now, but I also just want to take the opportunity to thank you for everything that you've done this year. And I think it's really, you know, for me, especially in the role of, you know, reporting to you guys and what can sometimes be really unclear or kind of challenging territory. I think you guys uh, are really my closest like support system in driving things forward. So I just really appreciate both of you and, and what you've done this year. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so starting with the chair, um, as usual, we'll need a motion and a second, and then we can take a vote. Since you're proposed, this should be pretty straightforward. But do I have a motion to elect um, Loretta as chair? I move to elect Loretta as chair. I'll second, a second, and second. Oh, Brenda, would you mind doing chair? Lovita Mellon. You can vote yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mitchell Harvey Jr. Yes. Serena Clinton. Yes. Tammy Wolfstown. Yes. Derek, I'm no sorry. Mark Smith. Yes. Derek Turner. Yes. The motion passed. Okay, Loretta, congratulations. You are here for <laughs> Okay, and then do I have a motion to elect Richard as our vice chair for 2024? Um, motion to, motion elect to elect Richard. Is that a first and a second? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And then Brenda, would you mind taking the vote? Lorita Mellon? Yes. Richard Harvey Jr.? Yes. Serena Blakey? Yes. Tammy Wosell? Yes. Mark Smith? Yes. Derek Turner? Yes. The motion passed. Richard. Yay. Yay. And I know it was the baby who wanted the cake, but we did cut some cake, kind of also celebrating. Willing to share. So, so anybody who's ready, just know that we've cut some cake <coughs> over there when you feel like you need to get up because the cake is calling you. <laughs> You're welcome to do so. <laughs> okay, Kayla, you're up for the next one too. Okay, um, so I'm gonna. Briefly talk about the co-applicant agreement. Um, this might be familiar to some of you and you were yeah, others. I think for the purposes of this presentation, I'll give kind of like a, a general background about co-applicant agreements and the HRSA requirements and then kind of generally walk through it. I don't know that it makes sense to go line by line through the agreement, but we can talk about it generally and then if there are any questions. I'm happy to answer and if you want to chime in too with, with anything. Um, yeah. And I know we put this on the agenda, Serena, you know, your request, and then there was a lot of nodding around the room that it would be good to go over this. So if you have any points that you want to call out right now, like, make sure you touch on this or whatever that be. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted you to touch on the thing that you thought were most, that we should get that we should have. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's the co-applicant agreement generally and like the background of why we have a co-applicant agreement. So as I think all of you know, Alameda County receives the HRSA 330H grant and then we are sub-recipients of that grant. AHS is a public agency. There are a few ways that we can comply with the HRSA requirements. So either AHS's board itself could have been the board overseeing uh, our homeless health center or you need a co-applicant board, but either way, you have to make sure you meet the HRSA composition requirements. So our board, the, the board of trustees, does not meet those composition requirements. So that's 51% consumer, um, no employees of the health system, a few other things. They don't meet that requirement, so they're um, yeah. so they elected to have, or AHS elected to have a co-applicant board, which is you all, and so. Part of that establishment is the Board of Trustees um, delegating certain responsibilities that are required from HRSA to, to you. And so they do that through the co-applicant agreement. And really the co-applicant agreement, well, it delineates that governance and responsibilities to the CAB, the, the ones that are required by HRSA. Some things AHS's Board of Trustees have to maintain as a public agency, they can't delegate those things. So I guess for example, AHS manages like the day-to-day -day operations, whereas the CAB, you all, um, you would oversee like strategic governance. So you're making policy, you're um, generally overseeing the health center. So some of the things that are listed in the co-applicant agreement, if we just looked at that, it's approval of the services that are included in the scope, um, the service sites, you approve the health center budget, as you all know, um, you select and evaluate Dr. Francis' position as the medical director, um, you're establishing various health policies and you're overseeing all of that and really providing direction to staff so that, you know, there's like a, a check to make sure the things that staff are doing and the information you're receiving isn't meeting the needs of the community. That's really your role is looking at, okay, what are the community's needs? Are we meeting them by the things that we're doing? And so, you know, the information you get, like Heather's report, the program report, the medical director report, you can also ask for additional information, which sometimes you have done in the past and you know, it's having different medical directors here to talk about programs and things like that. But that's all super valuable information for you to make sure that the objectives, your strategic plan, the goals, you know, the needs of the community are being met. That's, that's your role as the board, not the nitty-gritty like day-to-day -day things. That's right. first staff to do, AHS Board of Trustees oversees that piece. Um, let's see, yeah, so day-to-day -day things, so like mm -hmm. obtaining licenses, privileging credentialing providers, personnel issues, that's things that the Board of Trustees would do. Oh. for the health center and then it's the cab's role to look at that budget 
keeping in mind your strategic plan, the goals you have, and is it meeting those needs, and then to approve that budget. Um, but like the setting, the creation of that budget would be a just to present to the cooperative board, and then the cooperative board again just making sure that budget that's presented is consistent with the strategic plan that set out the goals, what the community needs are. Um, is that? I think there's a later section that focuses on the budget more. I think yeah. the, the really the really relevant phrase here is financial management practices. So the way we choose to manage our finances, like what software we use, what accounting methodologies we use, um, what staff we use, what policies we use around how we spend money, that's all to be said by the public agency. But the budget itself is a separate consideration that that is actually addressed separately in the agreement. Um, so I don't know if that so, responds to Well, I guess what I'm looking at is here it says, the Board of Trustees shall maintain its authority to set policy on fiscal matters pertaining to the health center program, including but not limited to appropriating and authorizing funding and staffing for programs. And policies related to financial management practices. Oh. So it's financial. It's the financial management practices that this is really setting aside the authority for the board of trustees to do that specifically we can't for oh, example tell the board of trustees you know the policy for how you um how you select vendors <coughs> is oh, I X, see, I see. right because so that's really important to public agencies public agencies right. have to have certain procurement rules that they follow we can't change the procurement rules that the county government or out of the health system has to, has to follow. Okay, so it's just the staffing for the fiscal management, not the staffing for the health right. center. Right, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, they would oversee generally staffing for the health center too. This board oversees um, the, the medical director position, but AHS would you know, hire and evaluate other employees. Right, but it was the authorizing funding for staffing. Got it. Okay. okay. Um, okay, so yeah, that's really just the general overview of the Coopkin board really is strategic government governance. It's the big picture and taking that big picture and then directing staff. So Heather, Dr. Francis, all of us to, to make that whole, you know, reality and then getting feedback from us about whether the things that we're doing are actually achieving those goals and if those goals are consistent with what the community needs. So it's really just setting that strategic direction. Uh, and then I know the bylaws were included in here too, and those really mirror the co-applicant agreement. So they highlight the different uh, role, roles and responsibilities of the co-applicant board and the board of trustees. They outline you know, composition requirements, amending the bylaws, all of the other you know legal things that are generally included in um, agreements and things like that. Um, are there other questions? I mean, I want you to think of me. I, I know I'm not going to be here after this month, but also Paula and also talk to Francis and Heather as like if you have any questions about the co-applicant agreement, the bylaws, anything. Please feel free at any time to to ask us. We're here to be a resource to you. Because um, I know sometimes it's hard to think of questions when it's out of context. Yeah. Uh, but I hope that this gives you kind of an idea of your goal. It, it's not getting caught up in the minutia of like the day to day, but really right. like the bigger right. picture. Right. And all of this is a HRSA requirement. I don't know if I said that in the beginning, but it's a HRSA requirement. It's part of like their 
their site visit, what they would look for is compliance. Like you have this co-applicant agreement where you're right. clearly delineated specific authorities that HRSA requires and that that's independent authorities too. So that's why you don't have that report of structure of the Board of Trustees or an independent board, which is super important part of, you know, the whole health center, community health center mission that's been in place since the 1960s is having a board that's made up of community members um, making decisions. So any questions about that or Dr. Francis, anything you want to add? Um, I think, you know, just, uh, relevant to the questions about the budget is um, there's a you know whole section on yeah. section four mutual obligations and 4a is budget development and approval i think at the end of 4a it makes really clear what um what the income sources are that you know are included in quote unquote program income and that it is you know our duty to approve you know, a budget that includes all of that program income. So that includes fees, premiums, third-party reimbursements, state and county funding, Section 330 grant funds. Um, I think the regulations um, make really clear that includes federal funding as well. Um, and all of that that's generated within the scope of the program. So this is well beyond the grant funding that we receive, but actually the funding that supports the full scope of the program is, is in under the purview of this board. I thought it says it should be under the control of AHS and the board. But the, the control of the finances is their control. Mm -hmm. But the budget that we approve yeah. is that budget. So, mm -hmm. And if they make material changes to that budget, the, paragraph, the, the paragraphs ahead say you know, they have to come notify us. Mm -hmm. We have an opportunity to then approve or disapprove of right. the changed budget, right? So they have an accountability to us as well to tell us what the budget is inclusive of all that revenue and allow us to approve it right and that i think that's the thing that we're currently trying to resolve right now is to figure out how we get all that program income that is relevant to the services that we provide reported to us so that we can actually approve it do we think we should accept money from these sources for these purposes or not yeah, and no, I think that's a great point because that I mean, knowing your full scope of your budget is important for you to set goals and yeah, you know, implement absolutely. in your strategic plan. You need to know what funds are available. So that's right. yeah, a great point to highlight. Yeah. Any other questions? I think something that's come up with the board of trustees a lot is the dispute resolution process. So I don't know if you want to walk through that at all, Kayla. Just. Uh, well, there would be, I mean, if there was a dispute, say, example, with the budget, if we were, if this board was presented the budget and did not want to approve it, then that would be, I mean, the board would be notified and there would be a period to, to meet and confer to essentially try to come to a resolution. Right. Um, and then I believe, what is it? It's, there's a certain time period in order to reach that resolution. Um, but I think... In that, if that were a situation, both parties are coming, you know, to be personally compliant. So I think both parties are motivated right, to, right. to have a budget that is yeah. compliant with HRSA. Um, Absolutely. I don't know how much. It's so, it's, how it's very general. Like, no, I think that's. I think I that's don't think it. we've had that situation no, before, I, so it's definitely been novel. But the way it's <laughs> written out, I think the idea is that there's going to be some type of collaboration and yeah. compromise to come to 
an outcome that's compliant with HRSA and the right. rest for the health center. Right. Yeah. That's the point I want to make is that it really emphasizes that there's time and space and to come to an agreement. And I, you know, when I talk to trustees, it's really interesting that many of them ask about that, like almost like within the first 15 minutes of the conversation <laughs> about it. And yet we haven't really talked about it here. Um, so it's interesting in terms of the approach to sort of wielding authority and power, like how people conceive of like what it is. When I was helping with the co-applicant agreement at the county, it was the same thing. The board of supervisors wanted to know, well, what if we don't want to listen to them? <laughs> you know, like what is it? What's it going to look like? And so, but the process in that agreement and in this agreement is both, you know, recognizing the fact that all the parties involved have a really strong interest in continuing the structure as it exists because we can't really implement the health center without Alameda Health System. And Alameda Health System can't really get FQHC benefits without us. So yeah. the process is structured for us to talk about that, understand that, and come to come to a, a real agreement if we do have a dispute. So even the County of Alameda, they have co their own co-applicant board. Yes. We all knew that. Those are some of the people that came to the retreat. Exactly. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And so um, my question to continue was, what is their responsibility? What do they do? Because I, you know, I didn't know. And uh, I think, what did you tell me, David? You well, Lucy's on the call, so we could ask Lucy yeah, to speak Lucy. a little bit to the commission and their responsibilities and how they see themselves, you know, in relation to their their co-applicant, which is the board of supervisors. Right. That's business. Lucy, are you still there? Give her a minute. She was coming off mute. Lucy, we can't hear you, but it looks like you're not muted anymore. And they're called CAP too. They refer to them as CAP too. The com no, they're the, the commission. They refer to as the commission. Uh, okay, but in writing on on paper, they call them CAP. Um, they have another one which it is just says that you're off mute, Lucy. I, you might not be connected with audio. Oh. I hear you, but for some reason you can't hear me. What did she say? Oh. I turned up the volume as well, and she, I know we heard you earlier. But I didn't, I didn't you. Yeah, it says that I'm off mute. I hear you, but for some reason you can't hear me. Okay. Well, well I can do my best to just explain. So the the county receives the grant directly from HRSA. Um, they are the applicant for the HRSA funds, and then the county had to create, when I was there, when we did this, they had to create a Healthcare for the Homeless Commission to be the co-applicant for the same reason that we need to have a co-applicant board. And so the co-applicant of the Board of Supervisors okay. is the Healthcare for the Homeless Commission, and they have their own co-applicant agreement. Right. They agree as part of their structure to subgrant some of the HRSA funds to us that allows us to then basically do the same thing that that they're doing to have a co-applicant board meet the HRSA regulations and thereby get the benefits of being a federally qualified health center so if we wanted to request extra funds would that be something where we would go through them or would we go to the county like if they've already designated, say, 10%, or I don't know how they, they do their breakdown, but say we want 20% now, how, what's the process to ask for more money? 
they're both, they both would have to approve anything within their scope the same way both us and the board of trustees have to approve anything within our scope. Okay. So it's not either or, it's both of them have to agree. So if, they, if we say, we think that HRSA funding or county funding yeah. should be applied in a greater way to this program area that, you know, that's within Alameda Health System and within the Homeless Health Center, um, that presumably would go in an annual budget for healthcare for the homeless for in the county, right? right? And that annual budget would be approved both through the Board of Supervisors and their budget process, as well as to the Healthcare for the Homeless Commission and their budget process. So I'm thinking that as we, as we, as a board um, and the Board of Trustees, as we collaborate together to um, increase services, you know, such as the dropping clinic and additional bridge services, I'm hearing about, um, we could ask them for for money, correct? We could petition it, or how does that work? How, how does it work to ask for money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we I'm have a, so we have an annual, uh, we have an annually approved, uh, sometimes now it's, I think we're doing every two years, are we doing the suburb service agreement now every two years, agreement with the county, where Lucy put in the chat, you know, it's about $700,000 of, I think, HRSA funding and some additional funding um, but we've talked about our sub-recipient agreement. You all approve it, they approve it each year. Okay. So that agreement is the main agreement by which money flows. But for example, they issued an RFP for dental services that we applied right. for and we received additional money from them because we won a competitive process right. to get additional money. If, um, yeah, if Lucy's saying, right, if we want to ask for money, they need to have more money to give. Oh. <laughs> but I, but I, so there's, there's, um, no, I hear that. There's also advocacy though, right? I yeah, think, yeah, I think yeah. it's possible, which is part of what we're getting to at the retreat, like to join together and say homelessness is a massive problem in our community. Right. What are, what's all the revenue in our community that's dedicated to homelessness? How are you spending it? How are you thinking about it? And really the commission, I think, has the ability to work with their applicant, the Board of Supervisors, to say, are we, are we actually looking at our budget in the right way? Right? The same way we're yeah. looking at our budget and saying, please tell us all the revenue that supports our scope so that we can understand where the boundaries are being drawn right. around what, what works for them. The commission can do the same thing with the Board of Supervisors. What's all the funding that supports our scope? In contrast to us, over the last few years, their funding has dramatically expanded and most of it has gone away to, to programs other than Alameda Health System. So they've expanded, for example, street health services and those right. kind of things. So there's been there's been a real large expansion in the county budget spent yeah. on homelessness, on homeless health care and in, on health care for the homeless over the last you know five, 10 years, which if Lucy could come off me, she could represent I, more specifically and directly than me. But but the point is that they have the same way of doing that that we do. Right. I'm just following, I don't know if any of um, the rest of you are, I'm following what's going on in San Francisco with um, these new things that they're gonna be trying. Um, and I don't know if Alameda County is going to follow suit to what San Francisco is doing after they see how it works. <laughs> but um, I can see a lot of changes could happen as far as um, well, one of the things is that if you're offered housing and you don't take it, only 30% take, take the offer. That's what the mayor of San Francisco has said. So if you don't take housing and you're on the street 
at that point, I can now ask you to move because you're no longer considered homeless because you've been offered housing, see? So that's something that just passed. They just got that passed. And if that happens here, I mean, that could change a lot of things. It could really, uh, really make a lot of, uh, you know, my mind goes a million directions with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I then, think and, I think that this mechanism is the main way that we engage those types of policies. Right. This sort of governance agreement and the subrecipient agreement is the main way that we, as a co-applicant board, can actually weigh in on similar questions in our community. So, right. if someone, if the Office of Homeless Care and Coordination is setting policy for who's prioritized for housing, yeah. right? What happens with the coordinated entry policy, or is setting policy within other boundaries? You know. They get a HUD grant, and HUD has rules about how things are done. Right. This that would be you know engaging with the, the commission and engaging with um, the healthcare for the homeless program and the county would be our way of saying how this relates to what's happening within the homeless health center scope and how what recommendations we have for making changes. Um, another thing too that they are considering, and next year will be a very interesting year because. Um, one of the things they're thinking about doing is if a person suffers from substance abuse and um, they refuse treatment, they are talking about cutting their um, county funds, you know, their SSI or their SSDI. You know, I have mixed feelings about that. I, I understand the intent behind it, but um, it's, it's really, you know, the, the whole idea is that something has to be done by for, uh, to get these people housed. And most of them have dual diagnosis, and most of them have substance abuse disorders, and they need to get help for them. So how do we how do we get that to them? You know, how do we make them feel secure enough to want to get that help, you know, if they're not there? And if they're not there, then what we take their benefits away? I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think that that's all kind of about the actual policy, right? And yeah. I think we're in a conversation about how do we impact the actual policy? And yeah. there's so much complexity to those questions themselves. And then there's the additional complexity of how we even get a voice in that conversation. Right. So, um, you know, I, I appreciate just how much we ask of you all to be like, Which can I you think... first understand the subrecipient agreement and the co-applicant agreement so that we can get to, right. do we need to offer this kind of housing or that kind of housing before we can coerce this kind of action? You know, I think right. th those those real on the ground questions we have about how we how we resolve homelessness. But I think we're the conversation we're having right now is really about how you know how are we're, what's our role in that bigger system. Right. You know? Yeah. Okay. okay. So is that all we have? Yeah. All for me. If you have any questions, please feel free to, to reach out. Definitely. Okay, so low barrier care planning update. Awesome. Here we go. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So um, I actually um, am going to turn it over to Dr. Lai, who did this great research study. And I just included all your slides that you sent me for the presentation. And then I sent Heather, depending on if we have more time, I sent you a late submittal of slides that are around the planning process in what, email. What, at like 5.30 today? <laughs> yeah, after clinic, after clinic. Yeah, at 5.30. <laughs> uh, very late submittal. Uh, we, don't, we don't actually necessarily need to go through those slides. I think um, 
I have, I'd like to just have them in case we want to reference them, but I think okay. the main subject I want to cover is just study going through this really important study, how it's influencing how we're thinking about what we're developing, and then we can just have a discussion and questions from you guys, and if any of the other slides that we've created are relevant, we can pull those up okay. as part of the conversation. So I'd love to just turn it over to Dr. Lai to um, tell us about what she's done. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak tonight. So again, my name is Sunny. I am the Associate Medical Director of the Adult Immunology Clinic. And can I? Um, you can do whatever you want. Drive <laughs> okay. right here with me. And it's so, just a PDF, so it's not exactly. Okay. So like we, we are a primary care clinic serving approximately um, 600 people living with HIV. And we're very fortunate to have Ryan White funding. Oh, good. Because it enables us to support a really like robust interdisciplinary team. So we provide primary care, care coordination, uh, linkage and retention services, specialty pharmacy services, uh, integrated behavioral health. And um, oh, oh, you really did include, oh yeah. So this, this is just kind of the demographics of our clinic. Um, we also use a lot of evidence-based practices to link and engage patients. And so these are some of the things that we do, including patient navigation from the emergency department to the clinic. We also have like bilingual, bicultural healthcare teams, and there's also high trust between the team and the patients. Yeah. And this clinic model works. So 90% of our, so this is a little bit older data, but 90% of our uh, patients are now virally suppressed, oh, which is much higher than the 65% in the in the United States. Um, but you know, as you all know in this room, like these numbers don't tell the full story. So there are many people who never make it in to our doors. There are also yes. Oh, I was getting ready to. I was make getting ready to ask you how do we uh, do a get these people uh, orientated and directed into that that area in a small window. HIV or the health system, uh, the homeless aspect of it. How do we get them? How do we get people into yeah, our clinic? Yeah, yeah. Currently. How do, we, how do we affect those numbers? How do we direct people where to go and who to go to to see with those symptoms and yeah, so right right now people like self-refer, but we also have a really um, a really comprehensive like screening program, the emergency department. And so anybody who has a new diagnosis, there's actually navigators that will like contact them at bedside and then make it very easy for them to get into our clinic. And we try to see people like within that week of, of referral. So they don't, they get their primary care from your department, mm -hmm. not from the K-6 department. Yeah, they come to our clinic, but but um, if they have a primary provider somewhere else in the community and mm -hmm. they want to continue seeing them, then they'll also try to link them back. Okay. Yeah. And so what I was going to say was like, we're, we're really doing a great job, but there is still a group of people that we're not able to reach. And, um, and then sometimes they come into our clinic but then, you know, a year later, we don't have any way of reaching them. And so, um, you know, we've been thinking, and then actually, like, if you think about these individuals, they're often more sick, and they're also the ones, like, dying prematurely. Yeah. So it felt very important for us to um, 
learn like learn about who these individuals are and then also like figure out how we can better serve them. So that led us to a journey to like just like look at our patient population. And every way we looked at the data, it came down to a few common themes. So people who had substance use disorders, I think you mentioned this, people with substance use disorders, people who have um, uncontrolled mental health disorders, and people experiencing homelessness were especially vulnerable in not like engaging in the current like primary care system. And so last year, um, oh, so these are just some examples of different like small analyses that we did. Um, and so last year, I started to see patients at the Bridge Clinic, which you all know is a low barrier substance use disorder clinic. And my hope of, by going there was just like, what if, can I reach people just by seeing patients in a different setting? And then we also really just wanted to hear from patients. So we decided we're gonna interview the first five people who got engaged in care from Bridge Clinic to AIC. Um, and so we had five, but unfortunately one person died from a drug overdose shortly after engaging in care. And so I, I wanted to share what I learned from these four people. So the four participants, um, they were mainly in the 30 to 30, this is very tiny, I'm sorry, but this is, they're mainly in the 30 to 39 age range. We had one woman, um, three women, um, and all of them had history of injection drug use. Um, and uh, they also used meth, fentanyl, heroin, and then they were staying in a car, RV, trailer, and one person was in a drug treatment program. Um, I'm going to make, I'm going to just kind of, I'm going to condense this talk a little bit, so I'm going to skip over some slides. But um, so some of the things that we learned was that um, there were certain attitudes and behaviors that providers had that really helped them engage in care. And so... One of them was just being non-judgmental. Like that was just, everyone said that. Um, demonstrating care, listening, and seeing the person and not just the patient. And then there were also certain structures that helped people get into care. So one of them was just the ease with getting an appointment. They, were, they loved how like at Bridge, they could just call and immediately they get an appointment that same day or they could just walk in. Um, they talked about providers having enough time with patients so imagine like you're in a primary care clinic, you have 20 minutes, you have so many things going on. Like we are so lucky that we have half an hour, sometimes even more to just talk about people's lives. And I think that really made people um, feel like valued. They also really like this one-stop shop for services. So they really can just get everything uh, in clinic. And then they also talk about the free transportation mm -hmm. to appointment. They're like, if you just told everyone that free transportation, like people will yeah. come. Yeah. Um, and, um, okay, I'll, I'll talk, yeah, so, sorry, I'm gonna skip. So then the other piece was that people have complex medical and psychosocial needs, and they really need a place to take care of the whole person. So I love this quote, they said, when I first got my diagnosis, the providers were worried about treating my disease, which I get, but they did not think about treating the mental health, the depression that came along with it, the anxiety that came along with it, the fact that I was being re-traumatized every time I took my pill, I wasn't referred to any social resources. I just feel like when I came to AIC, immediately it was treat the person. It wasn't just one thing that you're treating me, it was everything that comes along with me. Um, and then the other part was just how important access and options were. 
So one participant kept missing his appointments because he was using drugs. Mm -hmm. And um, having this like drop-in meant that they could just, they, they were able to come in whenever they were ready. Another participant felt that, you know, if they could, if they can't get a, an appointment for multiple months, what it conveyed to that person was that their health didn't matter. Um, and then I, I included the third comment was that it's not like everybody like drop in. They also like schedule appointments because they're like, okay, so, you know, the appointment is, you know, efficient. They come in and they feel like, okay, this is my designated time to see a provider. Um, and then another question I had for them was like, how do we reach you? You don't have phones. You don't have an address. And then I sit in my clinic, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know how, I don't know how this is going to work. Um, and so I asked them questions like, how do you feel I went to your and that was like, heck no, do not do that. That's a major privacy. And but anyway, so so here were some of the things that they said. They actually said you they were basically telling us to do like low-tech stuff, like post up flyers. You know, those little flyers with the little like things that you could tug on. They're like, put that up everywhere. <laughs> like if you want to get in touch with us, like put that up. Um, and then they were also talking about going on foot and just talking to people. Um this person on the bottom talked about how important it was to hire people who are homeless. Um, so he says, I think people who used to be homeless should be used more in trying to get homeless people off the streets. I would know where to go. They would trust me if they saw me or I could relate with them if I've never met them before and let them know, no, these are good people because you just start to not trust anyone when you're homeless. And then the final point was just like, get your name out there. Like anyone who is um, providing services to, you know, people who are using drugs or who are homeless, like just get your name out there because that's how they're going to hear about your clinic. Um, and, and I think, uh, people mentioned how Bridge does a really good job just blasting your name out there. And then the second piece was this idea of being present in public spaces. So the reason why I was saying that was like in the HIV world and STI world, like there's a lot of surveillance. There's a lot of like, we're going to find you and get you treated. <laughs> and, and it can feel yeah. like sometimes even me, I'm like, oh my gosh, I know they have HIV and I can't, I, they've been out of care for a year. Like, is it okay if I went to where they lived to go find them? And most people were just like, do not do that. And then, but there are public spaces that you can go to that is okay. So there's like, you can go to the encampments. There are gossip corners where people just like hang out. Like there are places where they're selling drugs. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then you also mentioned how important, like you're going to go out there, like don't look like the police because everyone's like afraid of the police getting involved. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, they gave me, like they gave us a lot of really, really great ideas. So what I took away from these interviews was that the importance of whole person care and what that looks like is like addressing all <laughs> of their needs in one place having time to listen to their stories, have relationships that, you know, build trust. And the second part is having choice and flexibility appointments. The way that primary care right now is like, if you're 10 minutes late, 15 minutes late, you're not going to be seen. And um, for people whose lives are just kind of chaotic, they don't know what they have time. Um, like some of the, you know, when you said about sanitation or hygiene, like a lot of people talked about how much effort it takes to even just take a shower to go right. to the clinic. And so I think to give them the option to be able to drop in whenever they need it, but still give them con like con continuity of care. So providers know who they are. Like, I think that's really important. 
Um, third is like having non-judgmental, supportive, and trustworthy care team. Mm -hmm. And so when I say that, that also means like a team that doesn't get burnt out because that also builds yeah. a lot of distrust. And then the final thing was like, we should think, you know, as much as we want to do like video medicine and like promote all that, like I think low tech is actually very, um, makes a lot of sense for this group mm -hmm. and um, relationship-based outreach, hiring peers to do this outreach is really important. So I don't know. I, I, I am like so grateful for these four people who spent time sharing their experience. And, you know, I, I, I felt very affirmed that we were doing a lot of things right. And there is a need, not just for our clinic, but for AHS to think about like, how can we, restructure services so that we can engage people that don't engage in like traditional medical care settings. And um, yeah, I just think we have this really amazing opportunity to do, to like dream about it and then hopefully like make it happen. So I'm, you know, curious to hear what your response is and, um, and how you think we could kind of like, is this something we should do? <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, that's that's the end of my talk. You know, ideally, it would be wonderful if AHS had a mobile shower oh my God. on the premises. Um, like, I, I mean, I've seen some beautiful mobile showers. I mean, beautiful. They're in trailers, and they're they're just fabulous. What a, a church by where I live has, and they, every every other week they open it up. And um, my hairdresser happens to cut hair there for them too. It's just, it's wonderful what they're doing. And um, I think there is a, um, a group of, um, it's a truck stop, I think in San Leandro or Oakland, San Leandro border that had sh portable showers there for um, truck drivers, you know, that travel cross country, they need to stop and take a shower, but they charge them like $10 or more to take a shower. Now, a homeless person's not gonna have money to do that, you know? But sometimes they get so desperate that they try to get the money to do that, you know? Really, it's, mm. it's, it's that bad, you know? So, like, Serena, when you were saying, you know, um, outhouses, okay? And, um, well, I mean, an outhouse is better than using the behind your tent, you know what I'm saying? Um, a mobile shower wouldn't really be that hard to, to take care of, you know, if you had somebody that, you know, managed it and and people knew to come and they get cleaned up and then go to their appointments. And I guess the biggest thing is dignity. Mm -hmm. Dignity, you know? You're not just some scum on the street. You're an actual human being that needs to take a shower that has an illness that needs to go to the doctor and get better. That's really, that's what, what it is, you know? That's all. So I guess I'm trying to, um, I'm not sure what question you're asking. So one question is just your, your response to the interviews, like whether they reflect like what you also have experienced. And then I, I think the other question is like, if we built, if we, like, do you think AHS should, like, have a drop-in, like, design a different Absolutely. type of clinic um, that would meet the needs of this population? That's not our strategic plan. Yes 
Oh yeah, I mean we we, we have that in our strategic plan. This is what we yeah. were. We yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to understand. Is this in the context is, of that? This is in the context of that. So yeah. I think you know, so, for me, um, I think we as a system have people that are already doing this work. I think that was a really important thing for having Sunny present is that we often think of the homeless health center as like mobile health team, right? And like. We have a clinic that has its own specialized HRSA funding and its own structure, just like ours, that's actually deeply complicated and has a lot of, you know, surveillance and public health surveillance and all this stuff. And they're coming to the exact same conclusions we're coming to, right? And so I think, yeah, I mean, I think you don't have to ask that question of this group, like this group is there. Oh yeah. No, but I, mean, <laughs> totally. I, but I think this is the point is like, just how can we actually find our allies like this in the system and understand that, that, our system already has a lot of the pieces that we want. We have to put them together in, yeah. new, in new ways. So that was my hope for having Sunny come. And then I think to have a deeper conversation about what are the elements that don't ring true? What are the elements that need to be extended or pushed harder than maybe they were in this conversation? You know, what what's missing? You know, for those are my questions. You know, also. Did you guys see? Uh, I sent <laughs> Richard. I sent you that link, yeah. right? Right. Yeah, because we sent yeah, you and I sent, by. I think I sent it to you too, Heather and David. The machine downstairs. Do you all know about that machine that supplies socks and tampons and um, I, for any homeless person, or, or, or they don't necessarily have to be homeless? I don't believe. Correct. No. Correct me if I'm wrong. They yeah. just have to be in need. It's right downstairs. Oh, upstairs. I'm turned around. I'm turned around. Sorry, sorry. It's on the fourth floor. Yeah. And it's it looks like a great big vending machine, and they get a code from Bridge, right? I'm assuming is that where they get the code from? They don't have code. You just have to put in your demographic. Oh, okay, okay. I know because they're tracking it by that to see what what people really need. Yeah. So I get all that, but that is fabulous. I mean, can you imagine? There's socks in there. You know, there's feminine hygiene products. That is fabulous. Yeah, Mila was just. I was just like, I was jumping out. He saw it. He saw it after our last board meeting, and then I saw a big write-up that the um, Oakland Dish, uh, Oakland uh, side, Oakland yeah, side, yeah, did beautiful, beautiful write-up. Yeah, and so I was just like, yes, 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 you know. Mm -hmm. And we're the first. We are the first in Alameda County to have that machine. So that's a big, big thing, you know. Who actually, who actually um, resupplies the machine once it runs out? That I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know, but I think it's like partnership with Headpack. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I did say yes, yes. It yeah. did say in the article mm -hmm. with Headpack. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's why they're taking the demographics because they're also trying to figure out what does our population need here. You know, because yeah, um, cool. I know, like in San Francisco, socks would be like one of the number one things. You know. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Well, I, I, probably, I, I don't know here because I've never, I've never done street work here, but I've done it in the city, so I know in the city what they need. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. I just wanted to say that you're right on it. The research that you're showing us is, I think we was already anticipating to see this. Yeah. Because this, uh, <coughs> we had developed this in our strategic plan. Two years ago, mm -hmm. three years ago, almost three, right? Twenty twenty two is when we approved it. So, but, but it was actually during twenty twenty one, end of twenty twenty one. So two yeah. years ago. Yeah. So yeah. we knew that it was important to have a traffic service. Which demographic we didn't know, but we knew that 
was, it was a, a necessity need. for our patients. It was a yeah. need. Um, and it's, I think it's more, the information you provide has been more valuable because it's not just about the drop-in, it's about the quality of care that's provided mm -hmm. to each and every individual that is receiving the services. So great job, great job so far. And I support it hundred percent. And you know, I have, um, you, you guys know that I interact with a lot of homeless people where I live. Um, with I've set a lot of boundaries that I didn't have before. But I will tell you, I had one come the other day and he asked me, um, he wanted some medicine. He had cut his arm. It was really bad. I said, let me just take you to some young emergency. I'll drive you right there. You know? Oh, no, 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 no. Scared to death to go there. Didn't want, I go, why? You didn't do anything wrong. I mean, you have a wound that needs stitches and blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, 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 no. I just want some gauze and some peroxide, you know? So I, I did that for him. You know, I couldn't force him to go to the hospital. But a lot of them are afraid to come into the emergency room. I don't know. I don't, he wouldn't tell me exactly why. I couldn't get it out of him. You know, and I didn't want to push it, over push it. I think, Sonny, you have a quote from someone yeah. about, like, never coming back, right? Like There, there are so many negative. Yeah. I mean, it's really sad to hear yeah. all four of them had negative experiences with healthcare. See, yeah. And that prevented them from wanting to come back. Highland has a pretty good reputation now, I have to tell you. because I think Highland, yeah. We do. We really, <laughs> really do. Yeah, really but, do. Yeah. Because one of my homeless also went to Alameda, and they, Alameda, not Alameda, um, Salander sent him to um, Highland here. They ended up admitting him. He had um, stage two cancer, bone cancer, all infected, this horrible, 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 okay? And homeless. And um, anyway, they got him, they did surgery, they got him set up at Stanford for um, whatever he needed, you know, and he's doing great now. His arm is all healed. He's great. He's doing great. And he's going to have housing soon, too. So. Yes, Highland. So when we get the people directed here, how do we sustain? How do we sustain? How do we keep them here? Because I deal with a lot of homeless people. A lot of homeless people. And I'm right in their face. I'm in front line. There's very few people that down here in the front line, you gotta gain trust. When you see someone come in contact with people, you gotta you gotta communicate with them in order for them to trust you. And it's it's from city to city it's different. It's vastly different. So when we look down, you can look down, but sometimes we gotta go down there and look up so we can connect. If we don't connect then that's what we kind of losing about. And from city to city, it's different. It's, I mean, the epidemic is it's catastrophic when you look, when you sit down there. You're like, oh man, wow, look at this. You see the police sitting right there in the middle, and not much they can do about it. So it's really up to us to really uh, sad. It's sad. If something's not done, we're going to be fixing a lot of healthcare problems. 
San Francisco's had 632 San Francisco, overdoses. San Francisco has stopped, and it's yeah. like a third-world country of vineyards, and it's just it's, it's bad. And as it's coming across this side of the uh, new water, you can see the BART station in the stores close to BART changing. So we have to do something. And from looking down, we got a different perspective than looking up. So I, I, I really think the first thing we have to understand the mindset of people, they don't want to come. A lot of them don't want to come. Offer them housing and the transition from housing to from the, from the tent to getting housing. It's a uh, it's really a hard transition from being down because every um, solution that you shoot at them, it's already a defense mechanism coming up. I mean, it comes back so fast. So we have to connect. And it's not very many people that connect. I've seen one lady come down, down, um, I live in now, Spring Fremont, Fremont. There's, there's the park, you know, going up through the Niles Canyon. There's a park over there. We used to be reserved for the public to go to and look at the water. And he says, well, now, you know, there's a gas station being built there. And it's, you know, it's a lot of things that, that's changing about that. So they want to come in. They want to redo that old mountain structure on the side of it. They want to build a park up. But you got all these homeless people here. So we allocated a lot of money for the parks, but the, the homeless people, we got to move them correctly and so we it's us the healthcare have to affect those people because they need health care. So how do we do it? So I found that backs and abode and some of the other places have housing or allow uh, you know get them plugged into housing. But it's only one lady I seen come down in the last two months and come down and say, hey you know you guys I told you to call me but you're not here. I told you I was coming to stay since so here I am. You know and I took my house first, but she's she's um, finding space for them out at Mission Peak. We've got to find some places to to delegate to keep them there for a long time to 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 affect their minds so they want to change and do that. But yeah, so that's where I think we started bases. We got to go to bases. What do we need when we get one of these showers? So. And, and we'll find out that the things that we need is the things that they need. But also, too, we can't give them away because, I mean, everything is cost money. So how, how do we make things cost effective and, and deal with those things? But we have to have a channel. We have to have a channel to plug in, get those resources. When they ask me, I, I need a place to send them. I need a place for them to go. I need somebody to talk to. I need somebody to, to, to steer them along the way they need to go. So. But me, I tell you guys, coming from from a Dixon standpoint, it's almost the same as mental health. Are, are you saying, or you think that we're not connecting with people? Uh, no, that's not what that's not what I said. But we have to. No, I'm, I'm asking because I'm trying to understand what you your statement. I'm saying we have to connect better. We have to do better. We have to we have to go harder in the paint because 
getting yeah. a bus kicked. Pretty much. I mean, what, I, what I'll say, I think I really resonated just a couple of things like the sustaining, I think, came out of this interview, right? So how many of the patients do we still have in AIC of the four? One passed away. And then of the four more, I think we're three of them are out of care now. No, one person did eventually come back. One person did come back, but two have not come two back. Two have not come back. So just this idea of sustaining the engagement and right. the challenge we're having doing that. And I think the idea of like looking up versus looking down, like these mental frames on what the problem is are really different. Yeah. Right. And the frame of like, I'm trying to build in this place and there's a bunch of people here and that's one frame. And that's like, that's the frame that a lot of us have that are like public administrators or public servants. But I think the really powerful piece, like we had a retreat at AIC talking about this study and it was like Sunny hung up the quotes of the patients in the room. Mm -hmm. And so it really was their perspective on what's happening. Yeah. And the frames are really different. Mm -hmm. And I think we do need to sit yes. inside it, which is what I think is really powerful about this work, sit inside of those frames to come up with better solutions, yes. right? It's what's really powerful yes. about this board, about your voice is for us being able to say, not how do I see this looking at this from the medical literature or not only that, but how do I see this of the voice of someone who takes three hours to take a shower because they can't show up in this place because they have never been treated with dignity. Yes. And like, let's start with that as the problem versus my prescription as the problem, right? So I, I, I don't know, Mark, I, that's what I heard in what, in some of what you were saying, Barry, that was really related to, to you know, the, the work that Sonny's done. Exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know how many of you are, are vocal on, um, on social media, but you know, people are constantly saying things about, you know, why are these homeless here in San mm -hmm. Leandro? San Leandro, you know, there's such a, they think they're such an uppity town, but they really are, you know, like Alameda does too, but you know. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but um, I, I, when I have the time, which is not always, but when I have the time, I, I answer some of these next door comments and I say to them, oh my God. <laughs> When was the last time you went to an encampment and donated coats or socks? When was the last time you did blah, 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 blah? And, you know, and my, my little paragraph turns up to be like this, and it says you're past your word allotment, your numbers, you know, and so I have to shorten it. But and that's why I said, if, once I get started, I can't stop, you know? It just keeps flowing, you know? When people start downing people that they see, you know, and... and I just, I just want to shake them and say, you know, if everybody, if everybody donated one coat, can you imagine? And everybody donated, you know, two pairs of socks, you know, for 15 years, I took groups of a hundred students at a time to the tenderloin. And that's what we did. We gave out socks and lunches and coats. And they knew us every, every December, they knew we were coming like clockwork. And we always came, we always came. You are touching on something especially for these holidays that bothers me a lot. Um, you always hear, or you see on TV, or you hear on the radio, advertisement about where to buy, where to send a warm coat to be, no, to be donated to someone who is needy. The problem I find in talking to people from time to time on the street as they go, okay, I, I've heard that commercial or somebody's related to me in some form or fashion. What I don't understand is 
what organization did they give it to? Because every organization I ever go to has never heard of them or doesn't know that they've ever done any code. Or well, they don't have a code. Or do <laughs> have a code so to give anybody. So one of my problems is, is like you have a lot of organizations that ask the public for help in order to donate to a specific group. And then when that specific or any member of that specific group uh, tries to locate it, they can't find it. And, uh, you know, I always hear um, donate a warm coat. I have to find anybody or any organization that is connected with warm coat in any way that actually is giving out coats. And I've looked for the last three, four years and I can't find one. I can tell you one. Just cursory out of the top of my brain. But I think that illustrates like some of that point, right? Of like, yeah, our ways of thinking about how to find people versus right. the way people think about where I can be found are just really different. <laughs> you know? And so your 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 personal experience of that is like, I think, such a great representation of that. Yeah, um, you know. I wanna I wanna just um, try to tell you guys some of the next steps that are happening. I think with integrating Sunny's work and some of the other work, and then. Um, and I think we'll come back, you know, periodically in the process. Um, but if, if that's okay, and then, you know, get any more comments or thoughts that folks have before we turn over to Heather for the program report. Um, so um, Sunny's also um, helping us with the literature review, looking at similar clinics um, to the ones that we're sort of conceiving of developing, including um, an HIV clinic in Seattle that's really done kind of amazing work. And also they've published their whole implementation process. So it's called the Max Clinic. And they really like written, you know, a bunch of articles about how they did their planning process to get to the place of getting a drop-in clinic that really dramatically improved, um, uh, you know, chronic disease outcomes, in this case, HIV treatment um, and people experiencing homelessness. So that's one big model that we're looking at. Um, Sunny and Dr. Ulaw from Bridge have already done a site visit to the Trust Clinic. I'm meeting with um, Dr. Ryan Heath from Trust Clinic next week, which is Lifelong's clinic, part of the scope of Healthcare for the Homeless. And then um, uh, Amy Garland, who's the medical director of Healthcare for the Homeless, who you met, is actually talking to the Maria X. Martinez Clinic in San Francisco. Um, and then we'll do some literature reviews as well, but we're at least doing site visits and interviews with those folks to kind of capture the best ideas, pull those all together. and in terms of some key elements of what the clinical framework should look like. Um, and, um, and then we're gonna start meeting with um, the space committee here at um, Alameda Health System and meeting with uh, some of our finance staff who do the kind of financial planning and modeling based on what we need. There are a lot of really, really hard questions about how to structure the staffing. And I think the voice of sure what makes sense in the medical literature when you talk to a bunch of medical directors versus what makes sense when you talk to the you know five patients sunny talk to is just going to continue to be really really critical for us to um to learn from the mistakes we make along the way and to, and to shift it but i think our hope is to be able to come back to you all and other you know stakeholder groups around um, alameda health system along the way and present the other hope is really like what has become a dramatic consensus among all the people working on this is like, we can't work on this as if it's one little clinic and the planning resources that we currently have dedicated to it, which is like a side of my desk, side of Sunny's desk, side of Dr. Ulal's desk process, where then we're ad hoc meeting with different yeah. space committees and the finance committee. Like that's not the way for us to develop a service that probably has 15 to 20,000 people who need it 
in Alameda County, and it's going to have to go well beyond Alameda Health System. So I think the other place we'll need your help is engaging bigger planning processes and bigger analysis resources and, and to like really meet the full need. And, you know, I think we'll start out with the frame of trying to get one clinic going, but we, we really need your help to make the frame. How do we do low barrier care in Alameda County for people who are homeless and people who are at risk of homelessness at the scale that it actually needs to happen? Yeah. Because um, we're, we're just, you know, every time we've tried to start a conversation about a clinic with a colleague, they're always like, well, but you can't just do it this small. That's the first kind of response that we get. And they're absolutely right. And like, right, and like part of the inspiration for me to even talk to Dr. Francis about this is when I have these patients where I'm not successful engaging at AIC, everyone's like, well, go to the trust clinic. But like, trust clinic is like not, <laughs> it's not that close to East Oakland. Like, you're going to walk there, you know? And I feel like we, trust clinic cannot just be the only clinic that right. serves all homeless individuals, right. you know? And so, like, we need more. We need it in East Oakland. We need to continue spreading oh, yeah. this. Yeah. So, yeah. I think. This is just like one yeah. other. Right. The opportunity is there. There's yeah. a lot of vacant spaces where the, the opportunity can happen. It's just more of getting our stars aligned. Right. Some of these questions about where does the money come from? Where does the money go? Is there really not enough money to do this? You know, is there more money to do that? I think those are going to be important questions along the way. I think questions about. Um, what is the balance between peers and standardized healthcare models and how valuable are peers and how valuable are standardized healthcare? I think a lot of the questions that, you know, we're engaging with in this conversation are going to come up along the way as we try to, as we try to build, you know, more services like, like this. And the more we do, the more people are going to see, they're going to see the results of it, <laughs> which is going to, benefit us anyway right well i think that's been the beautiful thing about yeah, aic and bridge is we actually have places in our system that already right. you know embody a lot of the principles and we were really proud at our retreat to talk about things we already do and ways that people are always already telling us like you guys make it feel different i think um and i, and I do agree with you the more that we show it the more it becomes real and then Definitely. it's kind of a positive feedback yeah. now i heard that the bridge clinic um, Terrence had sent me an email. Um, they're on a retreat. Terrence and Portia are on a retreat. They were going to come to the meeting, but they couldn't. But anyway, um, he said something about the Wilma Chan building and the bridge clinic. What's what's the connection there? I I don't know. And there's and he has he's putting somebody in charge of that. Um, I'll show you my email. I'll show you my, or I'll, I'll forward you my email. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not so sure. You can see. I'm not sure what he's. But but he asked me. He said, "Would you like more information?" Basically, is what he was. I said, "Oh, definitely." I said, "Yes, I'd like someone to come and speak to the board about that." Great. So yeah, no, we'll we'll make room on the on the yeah. schedule and we'll find out from yeah. Terrence, you know, what what he's referencing. It may be something that we're involved with him to. I just can't right, put together right, right, or maybe right. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think this illustrates, I think, where we are in planning. But I, like, I, I love that he at least thought to email me. Oh, yeah. Because no. he knows that I will tell you. I, and, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think I, it's I great. Appreciate we appreciate that. We I connect in any, in any way we can. And I, yeah. all of us, Terrence, myself, you know, I think all of us are kind of trying to do the best we can. But I think to me, the planning structure, the way that we're budgeting really reflects the fact that. We're now having this conversation when right. trust has been built at Lifelong. Reax Martinez has been built in San Francisco. 
like I think our lack of structured, resourced, proactive processes to tell us what the budget is, to help us move forward, is a real barrier. And I want to continue like naming that as something that we are actually in a position as a co-applicant board to fix by saying, show us the budget, show us the resources that support our work, tell us how those match up with the level of need. That's our job as a health center board to actually do that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's that's where this board really has a strong role in helping in helping get us past the, I, I'm grateful for like emails that fly around and all that, but we need to get past that to a phase where it's like, right. how many homeless people do we think they're gonna be in five years? How much money do we think there's gonna be? What do we think oh, we're yeah. gonna do? Are we keeping that's, pace with our plan, right? And that's, right. that's the next step for us, you know? I'm very hopeful. I really am. I, you know, I'm probably more hopeful than, than some people here, but, um, <laughs> but um, I'm, I appreciate the little things because I think the little things can build on to bigger things, you know, and that's why when all these little things happen, you know, via email or phone calls or whatever, I'm excessively thankful and appreciative, you know, and I, and I tell them that, yeah. you know, cause I, I want that communication to keep going because you can't fail with communication. You really, not. something good is going to come out of that. So I was just going to say one thing. I think another thing I've noticed, I mean, there's so much money going through certain diseases, mm-hmm. you know, HIV, there's substance use, but like, this is actually all affecting entire communities. What if we actually brought in all of these, like there's HIV money that can go into this too. So right. I think that's another thing. And we also generate program income, except we don't have access to that information to then further our programs. So I think that's why I'm really excited about this partnership is because yeah. not only is there expert, like there's medical expertise, but there's also money streams that come into all these programs that we can utilize better. Okay. Okay, that's- <laughs> and did you get funding for your research or was it? No, 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 this was, was just, just, this, was just this was just uh, on our own. Like, uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Are you looking for funding for to do more research? Uh, should I say yes for everything? Well, because I'm, I'm, I'm part of Fakori too. Oh, so okay. I have a lot of inside information okay. there. But, but I don't know if you're into the research right now. I don't know if you have enough time for that. I like research yeah. that implants. Okay. Okay. Derek, I I talked to a lady last night and she said that she said, um, I've contacted HIV and um, Billy, Billy, which is her ex-husband, boyfriend, fiance, whatever. So she says, but I always come to Billy as a reference point on anything I do. And so she says, but she says, I've lost my house and my, my son got killed on the road tracks. And she opened up, you know, about her, her disease. And never have I seen anyone with uh, uh, HIV, AIDS open up like that. And, and the thing about it is that <clears throat> she was saying that she was scared. She said, and what about if you start dating again? How do I feel? I've got to tell the person that I'm with uh, HIV. So, and I said that to say that if we affect change, you can, we can ask for more money. More money will challenge it, it'll, it'll work itself out, you know, but we've, We've gotten to the place to where the, um, 
we got the heart, the horse before the car, behind the car, right? I think, is that how it goes, Dr. Francis? The, the car before the horse. The car before the horse. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we've gotten to that place right there. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's sad, but it's doable. It's very doable. But it's good. It's not going to take just, just me or just you. It's, this board is not, it's, it's bigger than this board. If we don't cross lines and help each other push and connect, then we'll, we'll fight a losing battle. But we can do it. We can do it. So I wanted to ask if you could go back a, a few steps to when you were talking about the, in the side visits you're doing, looking at best practices, and then I'm just trying to get a better sense of actual steps. And like, then are you going to put together a proposal of what this the centers and the services might look like? When would we be involved? How does that fit with the space? Like, what comes first, the cart or the horse? <laughs> so it's like the space yeah. committee. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so kind of the nuts and bolts of it. So. Timeline-ish. I don't control the fiscal management policies of the organization. I don't do the budget planning process. I haven't been invited to any committee meetings. So I know that you all approve a budget that this clinic will be a part of. I know that you all approve a scope of services that will require a clinic move in order to make some space open on the Highland campus in order to do that. Yeah. But I don't, and to Derek's point, I can't by myself actually outline that whole process for you. Mm -hmm. And that's why the ad hoc committee that you, you know, Loretta and Richard are a part of yeah. is really critical mm -hmm. because we haven't defined things like how do we work together on budgets for setting up new right. services. And we haven't defined the processes for those. We haven't defined the way forward for those. So yeah. I think... I, I'm open to the ways you want to direct that process to happen and what you would like to see, but a lot of that is actually up to you because eventually the co-applicant board will have the authority to do that. And it's also up to our executives and it's up to the board of trustees. And so we actually need to collaborate to answer that question. Um, it's, it's not one, you, right, you, you brought it up, like you, when you're used to when you're a board member, the person who's in charge of the whole process reports to you, right? But I, right, right. I supervise Wanda and then right. it's Heather. So, so this is where we actually need to collaboratively engage the rest of the system in order to answer that question about what the process looks like. I, I think we can, you know, leverage the pieces because we have approval gates in the process right. as the co-applicant board in order to make a process happen, mm -hmm. but we can't do it by ourselves. Mm -hmm. As Derek just said, really eloquently. So, I guess I, um, well, there's kind of three things that are all related. There's like, what is this service? What does the center look like? For the drop-in clinic? Yeah. Okay. Does it have That's what he's supposed to be Does it at. have three doctors, two doctors? Does it have laundry? Like, I don't know, whatever. All the things, right? Then there's where does it go? Right. And then there's how does it get for which is all related so we're we're, but, we're developing the initial proposals for those things right but okay. the final the final drafts or the ability to, to you know engage other stakeholders who actually approves that like that's not mm -hmm. the end of those processes mm -hmm. and i think i think the most fruitful way to advance your question is for the ad hoc committee to ask the coo how will this clinic where when will a proposal be advanced where would it be approved how would it be decided upon? How would it get to us? 
rather than rather than just to ask us what that question is. Because I think we can, there, if there hasn't been a format presented to me, there isn't a structure that says, this is what a new clinic proposal looks like. There's a space request form, which we heard about last time. Right. So I can- said you should do that ASAP. I should do that ASAP because whoever does the form first gets the space. Right. <laughs> so that's the process. That's the process that I've been given, right? So that's what I'm saying is- So you're requesting space that you don't know exactly what for. Well, Sunny and Monish and I are working on a proposal that will be a staffing proposal. It will be a structure for how many okay. patients we'll get to. Yeah practically speaking, but I don't think that's the end of the process. And I don't know that that is going to work. I don't know that, that right. And that's yeah, not, the, that's not the way that you all will decide whether you want to approve as a, as a co-applicant board, the proposal or the plan for moving. So the way that you all will approve it will depend on how you all want to approve it. And, and the process is going to depend on the process for our system to make decisions about how to allocate resources mm -hmm. and out, including space and money. Mm -hmm. So we're working on a clinical, on a clinical model. Yeah. So, so would it be right to think that at some point you're going to bring back to us a proposal for the clinical model? We can do that if you ask for it. I think it will be most helpful to do that. If the ad hoc, I'm rec my recommendation is that the ad hoc committee ask this question of the AHS executives, because I think that would lead us to the to the least amount of rework. Mm -hmm. And this proposal got accepted here, but it didn't get accepted there because it's not a formal document for HRSA that we actually have formal authority to approve. Mm -hmm. So, so I, that's the question. The question that we is, should ask the COO. How how will this well, be approved? How will how what's the process? What's the process for us to approve the creation of mm -hmm. a low barrier care clinic? Mm -hmm. What's our role as a co-applicant board in doing that? When will we participate in the process, mm -hmm. right? When do you, how do you envision that we participate in the process, right? And you all have that authority mm -hmm. with the committee that you formed and the collaboration with the board of trustees right now. Mm -hmm. So were you, per the email about that, were you going to set that meeting up? I wasn't quite sure how so my, the, the, with regard to the ad hoc committee, yes, yeah, yes. my, I think Serena answered yes. I mean, I answered yes to you too. I okay. said, yeah, I, I liked what you said. And yeah. so Richard, I don't know if you've said yes to that. No, I'm just, I'm squirreling your world. <laughs> whatever you need me to do. Well, no, I think this is, we, I'm trying to reverse that in this moment, right? Like you, I'm a squirrel in your world. Oh, well then, yes. Then let's yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think this is this is the way this is the way that the cooperative board. You all have this authority. I don't want you to give it away to me. It's yours, right? It's, it's well, really hard to give them authority. It's, 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 it's really it's really hard, right? But I'm, what I'm saying is like you all you all are the ones who actually have this power, and so I really want to be very formal about saying like you all are making this think, request. You want it to work a certain way, but right? I think. I think my ultimate response is being mindful of your time because we've talked about this before. Well, we yeah, don't want to stretch you thin. Yeah. There's a lot that you're taking on with respect to a lot of our goals and our mission and our purpose, which, of course, everyone at this table could agree that yeah. we appreciate everything that you do, along with Heather as well. But we also want to be mindful that we're not stretching you too thin. And so my, that's one of the reasons that this is where my recommendation comes from, is that if you all ask the system as a whole, 
the homeless health center as a whole, which is resources well beyond those I control, well beyond my time, other people can be involved in planning and research that then needs to come back and so present then, to you. Right, right now, my friends can come present to you, yeah. right? But can we, can we actually marshal the resources of the business intelligence unit, of the population health unit? Can we build the team that Derek's saying we need people beyond this room to do it? So that is, that's the exact reason that I'm asking you all to, I think, awesome. think about doing another one. Okay. I got it. You got it. You got what you need from me. So, Where are we? Yeah. So we'll, I can try to summarize, I think, where we're at from Mark's perspective. Like, is your question about where we're at with the ad hoc committee and the, the, the process? No, with this agenda. We're talking about an update on low barrier care planning. So we're, we're, I think we're, we're well within the agenda item, but we're dealing with the complexity of the way our system structured and the cooperative agreement. So we're, we're talking yes. exactly about low barrier care planning which is the agenda item before the one that Heather has up, sure. right? And, and how do we do the planning process for it? And it heavily relates to the ad hoc committee, which is, I think, why the two agenda items have formed. So that's where we are on the agenda is low barrier care update. And what I think is clear um, to me is that the three of you who are on the ad hoc committee want to move forward with, you know, structuring a way of planning with, in collaboration with our executives and with the board of trustees absolutely. that would support this specific project, yes, the absolutely. low barrier care project, that's, right? And it can be a case statement. study, I think, yeah. for us in the ad hoc committee to, to drive things forward. And so we can make that request of our executive team that they bring the resources that went into planning the retreat and that went into involving yeah. the other stakeholders to this project. Right. You were going to ask um, the gentlemen, I forget their names, that. Um, did the retreat the national equity us, project to give us some of their totals or what I, what were you saying David? what what um so this is about the ad hoc committee which i think is fine to talk about in this case i don't know oh is it not I, know, is it? I, I, I think no unless we're talking okay. about ad hoc committee as a vehicle for moving yes. this forward i think we're beyond the agenda Okay. Can I make one, one comment in relation to Kim? Can you just answer the question that she asked about it? Sure. So, <laughs> yeah, Kim Kinney came to us and it's included in the minutes we approved today. Mm -hmm. The answer to your question, right? Which yeah. is they wanted to take the retreat, had some follow up steps, right. and they wanted to give those follow up steps to the ad hoc committee. Yeah. So, those follow up so steps are included in, in the email and the way yeah. we send it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, can I just make a statement? In order to further the planning of the low barrier clinic, if you are trying to shift the responsibility, I'm, I will, if you want to give me a to-do, such as asking Mark to do something on behalf of the board, I'm open to to-dos. I think the, the committee, the ad hoc committee saying, we would like to move forward. We'd like to move forward on both what we agreed to with Kim Kinney here last time, and we'd like to add the low barrier care clinic as a case study to help us figure out sure. planning. I think that would be great. And we can, well, I can talk to the ad hoc committee, I think, separately about yeah. how to do that. And yes, I will be asking for your help to do that. So thank you so I'm much. I'm happy for, I'm, you do you do lots of things. And then the squirrel <laughs> thing, which I think is quite the squirrel. I understand. I understand the need to sometimes shift it around, but it's really hard because we get in the mentality of like, oh, we're following you. So, you just have to help us 
I think that, that's, I think ultimately when yeah. we plan that meeting, that's is where we're going to have that discussion of what you need right. from us individually as far as your, being your hands and feet. Um, so yeah. yeah. Sounds good, folks. Also, also me on making myself available to receive place I can pay myself available to you. Much appreciated. Now that I'm putting the structure to my own hit, my own perspective, how uh, we can uh, be more effective. Yeah. So, so when you guys ready, I'll say the phone. Yeah. You can light it up. I think you all are quite effective. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons I want to make sure that your authority is what I'm following. Right, and and that that's how we're that's how we're setting the structures up for me to be able to listen to the direction that you give to look. You know, people are looking up, we're looking down. Uh, like I think that's really really important direction that you're giving that we need to figure out how to incorporate in, in this process. So I appreciate it. You're not saying that because Heather's down there watching because you know, no 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 no. I'm saying it because I think it relates to what Sunny was was presenting with, right. with our patients actually telling us their perspectives are different from ours. Okay. And we have to listen and we have to really listen to them. And you all, that's why the health center program is structured the way it is to have patient majority boards direct things, is for me to listen to you all what you want to do. And so it's kind of this weird moment of like trying to figure out how we actually make that happen inside of planning processes. And Remember, he's your employee. He's yeah. Like the one that you have control of the clock. So then you won the lottery. Exactly. Somebody won the lottery. Yes. So uh, the last is our <laughs> beloved Heather here. Can you give us the program report? All right. So we have program report. This is what the third or fourth time we've done it this way. Yeah. I'm getting there. I'm scrolling. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm almost there. It's a 72 page thing. I went back up to the, to the agenda so that we could see exactly where we were. All right. I'm almost there. Thank you. I hope I'm not making anybody seasick. Don't look at the screen. All right. There we go. Um, so we wanted to bring your attention to a few things on the program report. Um, so the program report we bring to you each and every month, and it gives you a snapshot of the utilization and effectiveness of each of the wellness centers and our specialty clinics, all of our homeless health center sites. And um, we wanted to bring attention to Eastmont for a moment. Um, Eastmont in the past uh, program reports, let me get there first. It helps me to talk about it if it's in front of me. There's our Eastmont. And you're going to notice a change in Eastmont, specifically in the number of patients waiting for primary care and the new patient capacity. Um, previous months on this page, we had a negative capacity here. And now we have a positive capacity. Did you notice? That's why I'm here. All right, I get to point it out. So we went from negative to positive because they hired a new provider. And so um, so there you go. You're going to start to see the number of patients waiting drop down month to month. That's what you should be seeing. If we don't see that, then we're going to ask more questions. But we should be seeing that that starts to drop down. 
Um, you'll see that there's a new patient capacity for 682. That doesn't mean that they can immediately take everybody off yeah. the waiting list and pop them into appointments. It takes, you, you know, is that some, for some adult, time. Is that for adult medicine? For adult medicine, yes. Okay, and, so, and dermatology, too. They, they hired another doctor for that, too. Yes. She's got interests in another clinic. She's looking to her own pages and making her own analysis. Okay. Not a surprise. She was looking at Highland. Highland is not in the same position as Eastmont. Highland's K6 clinic is still very heavy on the. Well, their uh, negative capacity isn't quite as dramatic as it has been before, um, but their number of patients on the waiting list is very high. Yeah. So you see that those things just are not even close to each other. At Eastmont, you see it and you go, oh, they'll be able to absorb those patients on the waiting list. Like that can happen because the capacity is higher than the wait list. In this case, the capacity is much lower than the wait list. Can Eastmont take some of the people that are on the Highland waiting list? Well, so the waiting list, um, we get reports on the waiting list every week from our ambulatory, we get the ambulatory update. And sometimes people are on the waiting list for more than one clinic at a time. So I won't say very specifically that it's a Highland patient that's going to get moved into Eastmont, but what they'll notice is if that patient is more than one place, they'll be removed from okay. one. Okay. And um, yeah. so, yes, in this okay. case, I would imagine some of these people on the Highland waiting list will, it will also drop because of Eastmont because yeah. they might be in multiple, on multiple waiting lists waiting for a provider. Yeah. There's evidence of that. Yeah, the thing to add is just how much time it takes to, because not every one of that provider schedule is new patient visits. Right. So it still, it still takes time before we're able to assign yeah. those patients in and actually get them seen. Sure. And what they are doing, um, the medical director um, provided some information for us as well, which says that all of the primary care providers actually move some of their people to the new provider so that they can also absorb some of the new okay. patients so that it's not that a new provider has only new patients. Oh, that's good. So that's they good. have some work to do to, to make that all happen so that um, it's, it's hard work to take on 100% yeah. uh, new patients into the system. That's great. And that's the main thing I wanted to draw your attention to um, for today's program report. Otherwise, uh, feel free to read it at your yeah. leisure and uh, bring some things back next week for me to pay attention to. <laughs> some of the other places you might see see evidence that providers are being hired. Oh, so, oh I, I added something into your program report. Hey, I'll highlight that too. Um, so up at the top, we can use page one of the program report as an example. Um, I was finding, since I knew that there was a new provider, I didn't know where I would see that in some of the other areas. And so at the top, you have your budgeted FTE, your hired FTE, and then I have your productive FTE for the pay period. 
Productive FTE is when people are actually there and not necessarily on um, leaves of absence or vacations. And so the productive FTE is also always going to be lower than your hired FTE. But this gives you a sense of for the past month, how many people were on site um, addressing those clinic visits. And so that is an added data point that will help me to see when the staff are hired. Because I'm not updating all the time the budgeted and hired FTE. That's not a monthly thing, that's more quarterly. So I did do it for this one because I knew that person was hired. But I added the productive FTE so it will catch it as we go along. They're reading. Okay. Oh, sorry. It's okay. It's okay. It's so interesting. I know it is. It is. Okay. And I think that's. Oh, there was one more thing. See, I'm like yeah. remembering other um, Because we had a question for you about this. We'll be back to Highland. Um, and I added it on here. Uh, adult is now open until 8 p.m. on Tuesdays. Oh, wonderful. And. So we had a question about, you know, we've approved the sites and hours of operation. And certainly for the Highland site, I think we had it pretty open as it varies because yeah. that site is encompassing K6, K7, urgent care, um, women's, and they have a lot of variety to their schedules because it includes so many different things, including some weekends. But um, when these clinics are piloting new ways to reach patients and to be um, available extended hours. I don't know how long the till eight o'clock will stick, but this is something that they're trying. So I have put it on there that they're trying this and it's been going on for, um, I think about a month or two now. And so they're starting to report back. Um, but we wanted to talk to you about how often we should approve the sites and services as a whole document. Um, our concern is that clinics when they expand, we love it. And we're like, oh, yes. But it could also mean at some point that they decide yeah. yes or no. They're trying this pilot to go until 8 o'clock. And I've told you about it. And now in a couple of months, they, that might be gone. And I can imagine you'd have some questions. Why did they stop? And why aren't we doing it? And have we approved it or not approved it? And really making sure that you still have the authority to approve the hours and sites of operation. And if it's established that it's going to be a Tuesday clinic until eight o'clock, that that's maintained or, and that to make a change out of that then would be for yeah. your approval. So we need to think a little bit about that. So that's just K6. This is K6. Adult eight o'clock on Tuesdays, huh? Yes. And weekend hours yet? Um, not the adult clinic. Um, women's has some Saturdays and um, urgent care. Right. Huh. So, Heather, I'm not sure if I'm in... You're talking about something that might happen, but it hasn't happened yet. No, like They're you... open until 8 o'clock. No, but the, the not being open. Correct. So, so, so in this case, <laughs> they've decided to be open until 8 o'clock. I didn't come before the cab. They changed their hours of operation without. It was till seven oh, before, right? Was that something else? You yeah. approved yeah. urgent care. Yeah. Urgent care came and we did an official approval with urgent care. And the next month we found out, oh, now adult is going till eight also. 
thanks. I'm going to update my program report. Yeah. But this idea that the hours of operation are a thing that actually the cab has authority on is not necessarily regular in the minds of the practice managers and the medical directors who are trying new things to increase access. Yeah. Um, so, so this is, yes, you approved urgent care. Um, I think we mentioned that, that Highland, they had had their latest appointment prior to this was seven o'clock. Yeah. So we knew that there were some late hours, but this is now they're open till eight. Their last appointment is seven ten, but they're open until eight because they, you know, people and stay late. That late hour, well, originally in, in uh, primary care, that was for injections and things like that. Like cortisone shots and stuff like that. A kind of yeah, there was a procedure clinic that was at that time. Right. Yeah, right. and it's no longer it's no longer just a procedure clinic. Uh, now it's everything. Yeah, and it doesn't okay. from the perspective of board authority, and I don't know if this can go in the program report, but I think it's coming up because of the program report. It's fine. It's fine. I'll allow it. Thank you. <laughs> um, the the thing that the board has the authority is really around the hours and the scope of services, once we approve something to be in, it, it doesn't come to the board, doesn't have to come to the board level, whether it's this service or that service happening within those hours. So I think what, you know, we were talking about trying to figure out how to do is create a framework where we can explain to all the managers across the system, by all means, expand hours um, and expand them knowing that if you scale them back, you will have to come here and explain like why why and then and then we have some regularity with you all of approval of the existing hours at that moment in time so we were kind of thinking a framework like that would allow people to continue to move as it makes sense in their local areas but it would continue to make sure that you all have the oversight authority to understand why experiments are being undertaken to expand hours, why they're being abandoned when they're being abandoned, which we think is really consistent with the governance authority of the applicant board. So we're just, we want to just bring it to your attention that we're thinking about doing something like that and we'll bring it more formally at a, at a future meeting to you all. Again, in the, in the name of like, you all have this authority that we want to make it, you know, easy for you to execute um, and easy for you to use. I love that. That would make it much clearer to me. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll have, I think the work will be internal in the organization then saying, you know, can you guys, can the work, will the organization agree to this as a way to manage this responsibility that we all have as a club? Yeah, and just out of curiosity, why would they cut back hours? Would it be because somebody was coming and so it just, or like something like that, right? Or we lost a staff member and so the more valuable place to use the existing staff is in the existing hours, or we've we finished a weekend pilot that we were doing, and I mean, yeah, any number of operational reasons could lead to them, mm -hmm. it's, especially in the context of, I doubt we're gonna ever cut back. Yeah, because be, if you be, have all those people on the waiting list, why would you cut back? Right? We're not gonna cut back below the standard hours, but cut back from the expanded hours. Oh. Right, and that's that's where I think we want to actually make sure that there's some structure to you yeah. all saying yeah. what we're expanding for and why. I mean, the um, only reason that I could see us having a different view than the folks managing the services is like our focus is on the unhoused population. Right, and so if being open till eight is particularly good for that population, but maybe not so good for something else, 
that's where we might have different priorities. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I don't see why we'd have different priorities for the most part. Yeah. Right? Everyone's looking to expand utilization and access. Right. No, I doubt it. I think the other reason uh, is just that you might say, how many experiments are going on? Mm -hmm. Is that is that too many for you to manage? Because you mm -hmm. can't report the homeless data now. You can't tell me about the experience of people, and yet you're already making a decision to scale back. So I think that's mm -hmm. the other place where you all might have an interest is in terms of how this, whether the strategy is coherent enough for you to evaluate. Are they expanding the hours to accommodate the homeless, though? I think to accommodate everyone, which includes because, people experiencing homelessness. And I think okay. I think often the point that Serena's making, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. We, we want the same things from this. No, 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 of course, of course. But I mean, I hope that that's not a reason for them to say, well, we don't need a drop-in clinic because we have K6 till 8 o'clock at night, you know? No, no, no. Yeah. You know, no, I don't think so. Okay. All right. So do we have any other comments? Board member comments? Public comments? I have one. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, you spoke first. Okay. Um, I have two comments. I want to ask, um, I've talked a little bit with Damon, but I think I've raised this question. I'm like, how do we know if we're doing a good job? How do we know if Alameda Health System is doing a good job? How do we know if the Homeless Health Center is doing a good job in serving the population that we're trying to serve? And so we talked a little bit about looking at the population as defined by the enhanced care management population. But I want, guess what I want to ask is, could we have an agenda item next time to talk about that question of, like, we don't have a denominator. I don't know how we know. We see all these numbers of patients that get served, but, and we see a little bit of the people on a wait list. We don't know if the people on the wait list are unhoused or, we don't have that level. And so I just find it hard to do what I think is our primary big level function, which is like, are we doing a good job? Like, I don't think we know. And so I not I know that I'm not saying anyone knows and is hiding that information. <laughs> is there a way to no think about yeah. <laughs> is there a way to think about answering that question? And we talked a little bit about defining a population that Alameda Health System has responsibility for. And I think there's an ECM population that is defined by people who are unhoused or identified as unhoused. Yeah, so I, we can present um, what we know about the Alameda Alliance assigned population. Um, and I think if maybe this the freedom to let uh, um, Loretta and Richard decide whether that's in January or February, because we also have the, uh, we haven't approved a budget yet. Um, so there's some other things that might need to be agendized, okay. but we actually, I just, I'm nearly done with an analysis of that. So that's already worked. That's completed essentially. Oh, cool. So that okay. it's fine to the right. next year. I just two. want to ask so for it we, to be we, an do, yeah. so we have a way to track them into where they go, like from the, the van to I can I can yeah. well no, I think the question is a different question and I can I, but, I think okay. we can respond to it, which is about a state designated population, not not about who we see on the van specifically, okay. but a state designated population of people who are eligible for uh -huh. these expanded services okay. and so it's one way for us to look at who, who who's the homeless health center responsible for mm -hmm. yeah. okay um the other comment i wanted to make is something that i just said to damon which is 
back to the low barrier clinic, which is that the ad hoc committee, which is the three of us, is kind of addressing this from a process standpoint. And I think it would be great if another committee of this board is more hands-on in terms of the proposal, like what do the services look like? And so I wanted to nominate the other three members of this committee, namely Kayla, Mark, and Derek, to be the ones that are like more hands-on with the proposal itself and like what should it look like and sort of taking that perspective that you so I'm unofficially nominating people for a thing that doesn't exist, but just tossing that thought out there. <laughs> Who did you nominate? I, I heard Kayla. Mark, Kayla, and Derek. The people you mean Tammy. T Tammy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to ask like, no, you. Thank you. So maybe we'll reach out individually. I think we can reach out individually to those members and gauge your interest in this, and then we can bring a formal agenda item next time mm -hmm. in response to in response to that. Kayla's smiling at me. Yes, the other one, the other conversation we really needed to have. It was very late. Yeah. Any more comments? No. Yes. Uh, drop talking. Uh, is your report uh, concluded? Yes, we're on the we're on the board member comments now. Yeah. You know what? I should have remembered that because that only happened, what, 10 minutes ago? It's okay. It's okay, Mark. You're doing good. I'm sorry. Okay, did you have just something? Just having bad days. Is this... Did you have something you wanted to Oh, no. no. Uh, oh, I did. I just simply wanted to. I did want to say something. Okay. I just simply wanted to wish everybody happy, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and uh, Happy New Year. Same Especially year. Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank we wish the same for you. Because okay. I certainly wish my year next year is better than this year was. It so, will be. Huh? It will. So happy new year. Happy new year. Okay. Um, I could say we are officially closing at 810. Somebody looking for company New Year's Eve. Give me a call. One <laughs> moment. We're still recording. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>